0: Hello, welcome to Human Tech, a podcast about the intersection between humans and technology. My name is Guthrie, and I'm here with Susan. Hi, Susan. Hey, Guthrie. And we have a very special guest today.
1: We do. I'm really excited. So I'm going to introduce our guest. Yeah, this. we're doing is... the introductions today. Okay. This is Dr. Philip Alvelda, and he's the CEO of a company called BrainWorks. And as we go through um, our conversation, uh, I think you'll get to find out more about him. He's got quite a, an interesting background, and he's doing some amazing, amazing work, so that's that's why i'm I'm excited. And um, Philip, uh, you know i I don't know, I'm not assuming that you know a lot about our our listeners. Um, and sometimes, Guthrie, I feel like yeah, maybe we don't, don't know, know a lot about her. Our- <laughs> Fine. But, but we hear from them now and then. But they are uh I think, you know, a lot of them are um uh some of them are people who are designers who are designing in this in this space that's an interaction between um technology and you know, human stuff. Um and so I, I think the work that you're doing, Philip, is is just such an interesting place of that intersection of technology and doing things for human that's why humans that's why i wanted to have you on and i'll just let everyone know that we have never talked before except for our sound checks so we are we are just getting to know each other so anyway welcome philip
2: well susan and uh guthrie thanks for having me real pleasure to be uh
1: joining you so i have um i think I, I have a bunch of stuff I want to talk about, and uh, based on you know just watching uh, some videos of of some of the work that you've been doing recently, and so on. But I think what might really help to set um, to set this for our listeners who don't mean you know they may not know anything about you is is to talk just for a minute at a real high level about um, some of the current work that you're working on right now and then if, if you do that if you can do that first then that'll be a great uh way for me to 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 start asking some questions that i have
2: sure i'm i'm in pretty good practice because uh as you know growing a small technology startup company you're you're always telling people about uh, the great mission at hand <laughs> and how you want to change the world Um uh, this one really is a labor of love for me i i I began working in AI and making machines that think uh, back at NASA, you know, many decades ago in the 80s. And, and I, I reflect now that, that for me, this is the stars aligning where the computers have gotten powerful enough, the data sets are, are interesting enough and complex and large enough. Uh, and we really can advance uh, automation in a way that we can make intelligent machines that people can trust. And so BrainWorks, really, you can think of us as a foundry in the sense that, you know, iron foundries, you know, cast iron and make things. We're a brain foundry. So so our, our official name is the BrainWorks Foundry Incorporated. Uh, and we're making intelligent machines that are more like the way human brains think uh, and applying them to solve really difficult global challenges that you needed really, you know, up until this point, you needed... Uh, really hands- on people to solve complex tasks and so you can think of it as uh, you know building more capable brains to solve more capable problems that, that so far uh, we just haven't managed um, and so that's a, that's a pretty exciting field for us and uh, part of the adventure of course was figuring out where we could have the most impact first and, and the the direction of application we chose was was to think about uh, how do we automate some of the really burdensome aspects of healthcare. Uh, and this, of course, is a, is a difficult challenge in many nations now because, as you know, the cost of healthcare is going up rapidly. But even more importantly, uh, we've got an aging population. And there are several countries already. Think uh, Japan, uh, Korea, uh, Spain, Italy. Uh, they're already upside down in their population pyramid. So there aren't enough young people to take care of the elderly with in- increasing healthcare needs. And so we, we built BrainWorks uh, to build these more intelligent machines and we're applying them to automate as many of the difficult and burdensome aspects of healthcare as we can. Uh, and so that really is the mission. Uh, the first product and service that we're launching is a, a really interesting new system that, that completely automates the process of taking vital signs. Uh, and, and it does it in a, in a really novel way that's enabled by the new AI technologies where it used to be that, you know, you'd need to put a blood pressure cuff on, attach leads to someone, uh, you know, to get their vital signs. Uh, But now we can use these new AI techniques to just use computer vision. So all you need to do is be in front of a camera uh, that's connected to the internet in some way. Uh, And we can, by looking at, you know, really, really subtle changes of color and motion in your face and body, uh, really begin to pull out uh, biometric signs, you know, heartbeat, respiration.
1: Uh, yeah. You've retro- got a, um, you've got, and we'll put a link into, uh, you know, for instance, some of your videos, but you've, I was watching one video where you just demonstrate this and, and it, it's kind. Of, one of the things that I thought was fun about the video was it's just like, okay, yeah, I'll turn it on. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, no big deal. I'm just going to turn this on. And like three seconds later, you know, the camera of your of the smartphone is on your face, and there on the screen is, I think it was your heart rate, right? Yeah, uh,
2: yeah.
1: Uh, just continuously measuring your heart rate as long as you were cool. somewhat facing the camera. And, um, and it happened really fast. Like, there was data on the screen in what? I mean, it was yeah. like we'll a few seconds, seconds at most, right?
2: Yeah, it's, uh, it's really remarkable. And, you know, the, the way to think of what we're building is, um, you know, there's been a lot of advance, you know, you hear a lot of uh, technology discussion about deep learning networks and convolutional networks and the advance of AI. Uh, and, and so far up until now, most of the systems have you've solved very narrow problems. You know, we can, uh, you know, identify your face in a picture or we can, um, you know, pull out words from a stream of text uh, that you're speaking. Uh, but now we're, we're trying to solve problems that require, you know, hands-on maneuvering, people have to be in the right place, and, and what are the new technologies that we can bring to bear in aggregate? So building a whole system that has many aspects of artificial intelligence that, that come together in a system to solve them. Uh, so it's it's really uh, I mean I think the team at, at Brainworks has done a, a phenomenal job in, in putting this first system together uh, in a way that yeah it doesn't require your attention or the doctor's attention and um, and you know computers are getting really fast you're right <laughs> so it's uh it's an impressive demo and and every quarter you know we add new things that it detects so uh, since that demo we've we've incorporated the respiration features uh, and we're working on uh, you know blood pressure and a a broad range of uh, of other um a broad range of other um you know type of biomarkers and, and metrics that we're trying to measure to assess all sorts of diseases and deficits and injuries just by having a computer look at you
1: all right now i have a tangential question for you sure so so i'm um i I teach uh, one course each semester at a University of Wisconsin campus. I'm an adjunct professor there. And the course I'm teaching this semester is to uh, computer science and user experience students. And it's all about um, design processes, design methods. And, you know, we're doing a unit on design thinking and a unit on lean and a unit on agile and so on. Mm -hmm. So... I when I was thinking about like this product you just described I'm curious about you know how what is the design process at at Brainworks for something like this like do you follow a particular process is this just like uh, you wake up in the morning with these ideas, and you get a team working on it, or what? Uh, you know, what's, <laughs> what's your a great, process like?
2: That's a great question. Um, when it in the very beginning, you know, there was really just a challenge of the, the the technology being so powerful and broadly applicable that it was difficult to figure out, you know, how to define a product and a feature set that we you know, we would use and, and take to marketplace. So, you know, the first design challenge was you know, as much a technology as it was a financial and business design challenge. Um, you know, figuring out what the marketplace was and how much the people would pay and what were the unit costs and, and, and how would it scale a financial engine to grow a company. And so that really was the first design challenge. And then once we realized every time we turned around and started putting these models together, uh, you know, healthcare was just such a big number in, in every aspect. Um, and there was such a pent need, and there were so few people, and it was just crying out for automation in ways that uh, uh, you know the whole industry hasn't even really appreciated the opportunities. Uh, that, that then the, the challenge was all right, you know, taking taking vital signs seems to be something that people take for granted. It's we've been doing it the same way for 50 years. Uh, how can we how can we kind of you know reallocate all that manpower uh, to more meaningful you know patient interactions? And, um, and, and can we automate that process? Uh, and so the first part was largely experimental. Uh, what kind of performance can we get? Um, you know, what kind of measurement precision can we get? Uh, what kind of, um, uh, you know, what, what kind of cost of operations when we look at the processing and storage and, and bandwidth requirements to build, you know, the complete end-to-end uh, cloud service? Uh, so so those, were, those were kind of, you know, in the specification process. Uh, but once we realized, holy smokes, you know, using these new AI techniques that, that look at how the eye works and look at how the visual cortex work and, and apply that to signal analytics, uh, we realized we could pull out signals that no one had made visible in any way before. It was always lost in the noise or lost while you are moving or lost while the background lighting changes or, or something like that. And so once we realized we could do that, we we, we realized, oh, oh my goodness, you know, we can do just with a camera what it used to, t- you know, require five thousand dollars of equipment and a nurse and fifteen minutes and then in a waiting room and so on. Uh, and we could do it anywhere with any camera. Uh, so you don't even have to come into the hospital clinic to 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 be uh, assessed at a at a professional, you know, FDA certified level of of accuracy. Um, so. Then, of course, the the design methodology for, for building it, uh, there's a lot of flexibility when you're a, a tiny company. Um, you know, the key part of the design process, in my view, is, is hiring the right developers <laughs> who, who need less management than, um, you know, kind of uh, budding technologists. And so uh, having started a few companies, I had a small uh, army of supporters who, who would, uh who had built uh, big infrastructure with me before who, who were eager to kind of step in and, and build. Uh, so I'd say we do kind of a modified agile strategy uh, that has a little bit more independence uh, than usual because we've got very, very capable designers.
1: Okay, okay. All right, now here's another question. What? So you design, you know, things like this or this particular uh, uh, product and and, you know, as you, Kind of have just hinted at it's it's really different. I mean, it's very disruptive in a positive way, right? We use yeah. that term we hope so. <laughs> to be positive, but it is a big change. And so, how you know, in a in a field like healthcare, which I, I and I we do a little bit of uh, consulting in healthcare, and I kind of I, my sense is that is that you know. I mean, talking about healthcare—it's such a huge industry and so many people involved. But so this is really a generalization. But my sense is that there are places and people in that industry that are just so excited about you know disruption and new ways of doing things. But on the other hand, you have in many many places just these, you know, very long established behaviors. Um, that entrenched. people have about yeah. yeah entrenched is a good word yeah. about how you do this right and so so what is that I mean that that must be like a, a whole nother piece to what you're trying to do is okay how do we get this out there in the world and get people the humans right to want to go this route
2: yeah that's a great question you know it's it's the it's the kind of canonical technology challenge. Like you want to invent something that makes the world better, but the world seems so darn resistant (laughs) when you want to, when you want to bring about these changes. Um, And, you know, there are certain industries uh, you know, like, like one of my previous companies, we, we did a lot of work with uh, uh, the telecom giants. So, you know, the AT&T's and uh, and Verizon's of the world and, you know, big infrastructure companies, big capital expenditures, uh, you know, armies of staff, decades of, of uh, practice and process and how they do things. Um, and it's hard, it's hard in all of those. And, and, and medicine, I think, and, and healthcare in general uh, is certainly one of those areas where you know, very long entrenched practices have, have taken root. Um, but what I find is that um, with careful product design uh, and, and a good business engagement strategy uh, to figure out, you know, how do you have representatives and kind of make the market aware of you, um, you can, you can find that in the healthcare industry, there are people that are very, very interested in doing things that really improve the patient experience and really, you know, improve the doctor's ability to, uh, you know, offer better care. And, and if you can build a product that is easily integrable or that, that replaces an old function wholesale, that's much easier than offering something that is part of a solution that needs to be fit into a bigger operation. And so this is why the, the Vital Sign taking uh, system was, was actually a, a great candidate uh, because we could completely replace the old school way of doing things and have massive advantages, you know, in, in operations and number of people that you need to do it, but also in important areas that, that are important to healthcare for the, of the patient. So for example, Um, you know, there's a bunch of conditions where you, you, you don't really want to touch the patient or, or or where touching damages them. So, you know, think about patients in a burn ward, uh, who have skin that has sloughed off. You can't really touch them or fasten things to them, but you still want to be able to monitor them. Uh, similarly for, um, infants in the neonatal intensive care, uh, you know, you get a child in the NICU, it's, it's, you know, got very, very sensitive skin. Uh, generally you've got to strap things to it that, uh, that, that damage the skin while, while you're doing the measurement, the kids squirmy and the leads pop off and all the alarms go a few times a day and the nurses all rush in like it's an emergency and oh nope, just the leads popping off again. But they can't ignore it because it might actually be an emergency. So there, there's all sorts of things like that You know, in, in, in the beginning of life, uh, certainly in all the way in hospice where you know the elderly have very fragile skin and they don't really wanna be strapped to the beds but you wanna be able to see how they're doing. Um, so it 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 off, it afforded such a, a monumental quantum leap in the quality and range of care just within the hospitals that that there was huge demand for it mm, and then when, and then when we when we were able to show that and you could expand care in the home yeah. that was that was kind of a real clincher. Yeah. Uh, these are the type of uh, advantages that we tout in the marketing and uh you know we'll see uh we'll see how effective it is,
1: yeah. Hey Guthrie, uh, yeah, I wanted yeah. to mention to you because, you know, obviously Philip and I are just like talking away at Yeah, 10 I got a list of questions. Hour don't and... worry. <laughs> I got a nice I, got, I, got I have questions, more here. questions too, but why don't you jump in with some, Guthrie?
0: Okay. Um, so uh, all right, yeah, uh, Philip, I'll, I'll let you I'll let you choose. I got a uh, I got a privacy question and I got an AI question. Which one which one do you want?
2: Well, let, let's do them both. But happy to start with either one. AI is fine. Going to privacy, whatever, whatever you feel
0: like. Okay, we'll start with AI. So, um, I, I am this. Uh, I am a little curious. I remember uh, years and years and years and years ago. Um, I, w- I used to play uh, SimCity, a thousand, thousand years ago, and you know, you would play against the quote AI, and you know, you were one. Team and they were the other or Civ Four whatever the whatever the game was but of course it wasn't really AI they called it AI but it was really just a glorified system of like if then statements. Yes. And you know AI is such a buzzword. Anything, uh, Silicon Valley. We go to a lot of conferences and it's AI this and it's AI that. Now it sounds like what you're doing is actually sort of the AI neural network stuff. Um, but a lot of in my experience so far. A lot of what companies are calling AI, when it, at least when it comes to interacting with uh, a person, really is the same sort of if-then statements, uh, like a chatbot would be a good example. Uh, a lot of chatbots saying that they have AI, and it's really if they mention, you know, uh, I need to email someone, and email's in the keyword, if email, then do this, you know, a branch of you know, text
2: yeah i mean we call we call that uh, you know for the alexa and siri type application we call that intention mapping
1: mm.
0: yeah,
2: where, where can the, can the uh, software determine your intention and then based on that intention you know look up a sequence of steps that will follow you know to satisfy that intention um, and you're right. You know, there's there's huge ferment about you know, is it AI? Is it not? I was just curious uh, yeah. what
0: like if you if you had to be you know you're you're on the cutting edge of it. So you, I've given you, I've I've, I've made you the grammar czar, <laughs> and so <laughs> you now have uh, the full authority of backing of the United States government to determine um, what is actually uh, you know how you define things. So how 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 would you define what is and isn't? AI? Well,
2: to to me, you know. There's a, a lot of different ways you can look at, analyze, think about intelligence, mm-hmm. and so when you want to build a, a synthetic system, you want to engineer something to act intelligently. Um, you know there are things that can intelligently avoid light in a little mouse robot, <laughs> um, and and so you're you're embodying some you know finite bit of intelligence into the thing that that uh, you know attracts or avoids light, and. You know, that was intelligence that was enabled in bacteria uh, and, and algae swimming in the ocean, you know, millions yeah. of years ago. Yeah. Uh, and, and no one would call, you know, a tiny little algae, you know, intelligent, you know, on the, on the level of a human. So I, I try to think of um, the idea of intelligence as a little more compartmentalized and, and component driven. Um, And and the types of systems we're trying to build, we're trying to build more and more intelligence with brains that have more and more capability to do more and more complicated things. You know, would we say, oh, yes, that is uh, a general AI robot? You know, no, we're not there yet. Uh, Is it using elements of AI to solve specific problems in ways that, you know, kind of, um, mimic or, or recall the ways humans approach them, you know, yes, that's that's functional AI, but it's not necessarily general in the, in the sense that you can give it any problem and it will adapt and, and learn to do that. So I, I think the idea of general intelligence is that it has to embody the general operating rules of the universe, the environment that it works in, in particular, uh, be able to kind of observe things that are happening and you know, generalize what should be done in the future based on what went well in the past. <laughs> and, and avoid those things, of course, that, that didn't go so well. So to me, that's a that's a, a general AI description. are um, We're nowhere close to building systems like that as, as an entire industry, you know, much less any individual company. Mm-hmm. Um, but but for us, uh, we think that we can make meaningful steps in that direction by going from, you know, very narrow problems, you know, like finding a face, to building a system that, yes, it can find a face, but it can also look at you and see how you're doing and how you're feeling and develop a representation of that where, uh, you know, you can have some sort of emotional engagement with a chatbot that's not just a a question-response thing. It it can have its own attitudes and and personality. It can have a model of you and your personality, uh, and you can make richer interactions between them. So that, you know, we're definitely on our way to doing. Uh, but a general problem solver, no, that that's still, you know, a yeah. decade, two, maybe three in the future.
0: Um, Susan, when did you write your book on <laughs> speech interfaces?
1: Oh, I on my shelf here somewhere. I think it was like 1999.
0: Okay, so back in 99, she wrote a book that was way too large. That's even bigger than my book.
1: Was no, I, mean, I don't think so. I mean, I think it was a pretty books. big book.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, so she wrote a book about uh, computer speech interfaces with humans. And I think back in '99, if you would have said, "Okay, we have this computer program that can almost in near real time translate what any human is saying into text," that would just that would be like this amazing, amazing Jetsons futureistic whatever. Um, but to me, it feels like. There has been sort, some sort of Pandora's box because once a couple companies, um, Google being one, sort of figured out the way of which you you know do speech to text or speech to uh, something you know you, you're you're turning the sa- sound waves into something a computer program can can deal with. Um, mm-hmm. It seems that. It's now a pretty easy problem because since uh, since Google did it decently, or a couple other special, smaller specialized companies did it dec- decently a couple years ago, within a couple years it was Apple and it was Amazon and it was Huawei and it was Samsung and it doesn't it doesn't seem all these big companies okay like two years of we'll we'll throw some money behind it we have a decent some decent software that can. Now, sort of understand what people are saying, and it's it hasn't necessarily been surprising to me because you know every generation of new neural network hardware is like a ten x you know tensor core increase or whatever. But um, have from from you know you're you're on the other side of the curtain. Yeah, are these problems, um, and and I you know so are there. Uh, are there certain problems that, so the person walking around the street when they uh, see something that, you know, would be, you know, AI ish or somewhat intelligent, it feels like magic? Are there some problems that are like, yeah, we kind of know how to do this now? Like, we feed it a bunch of data and, you know, we, we basically know the model to solve this problem pretty easily. Or is like every time a Huawei, um, you know, getting text to speech, is it its own, like, Miracle of engineering, like how you know, how hard it, is this stuff really these days? It,
2: it, it's really hard. Okay. It's really hard because I, I think that the thing that people kind of often fail to appreciate when you when you think about AI and and things that are automated, um, it's easy to you know ask you know your Alexa, you know, hey, turn on the TV or turn the lights down or, or, sure. or things like that, and and you know deceive yourself into giving the the Alexa unit the anthropomorphic characteristics of understanding what you're saying. Okay. And and here I'm going to make a distinction between identifying what you're saying. So the person said these words and understanding what those words meant.
0: Right.
2: So all Alexa has is a table that says, if you say, turn down the lights in any kind of order like that. And in fact, you know, my Alexa in the background just turned on. (laughs)
0: A-L. Yeah,
2: Alexa, shut up. (laughs) Uh, up. That's too funny. know what you know you can you deceive yourself into thinking that it has some knowledge of what those those words mean and, and it has no idea what a light is right. or what it means to say turn it down uh, you know you and I understand that means you know if, if I have a switch I reach over and I turn the switch to, to lower the lights uh, level you know intensity levels uh, but 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 the the AI devices don't have any of that in embedded knowledge I'll give you an example of, of where you know the magic failed me and, and I was pushing it and and, and for me this was um uh this is a great story I was I, w- I had bought a Tesla uh in in California and I was driving it across the country specifically to test the the autopilot function uh you know which is one of the really widely touted AI capabilities so the self-driving capabilities of the Tesla Model 3 and and you know they when you fire it up you know and you read the user's manual it has all these warnings about you know only use it under good conditions on straight roads you know no light traffic and and i ignored all of those you know with the intent to see you know where it faced and failed and of course it was a little bit of a white knuckle ride for me you know as you're letting the car drive you're still you know hovering over it like a mother with her first yeah (laughs) (laughs) and, and of course i'm testing it in all these conditions and you know i have to say that that by and large, it was really quite amazing. And, and you know, 99% of the, you know, 3,700-mile journey, you know, kind of down through the southeast and then up the, up the coast, uh, it it did, you know, everything that I asked it to, even though I ignored most of the warnings. Uh, But there were a couple, there were two failures in particular that were really interesting. Um, And one was kind of rush hour traffic at about 7 p.m. Dallas, Fort Worth, Mm. uh, you know, kind of the land of the concrete freeways. It was all under construction. It was raining. It was dark. Uh, (laughs) And, and, you know, there was rush hour. It wasn't quite bumper to bumper because it was starting to loosen up. So we're going about 50 miles an hour. Rain everywhere, potholes. The car's doing great. You know, I've got these giant 18 wheelers next to me and I'm like terrified, but it's still doing it. And then, just from nowhere, for no apparent reason whatsoever, the car just goes into an emergency brake. You know, so I'm thrown up against the, you know, the alarms are beeping, ram, 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 and take over, I'm like, take over, jeez, what are you doing? And you know, so I step on the gas immediately, uh, And and you know, but the car had gone from like fifty-five miles an hour down to about fifteen, wow. you know, in half a second, and then you know, I accelerated back up to the to the freeway track. I mean, it was an emergency, like like if something was going to run into the car, kind of crash brake. Um, and uh and and you know, so I, I looked in my rearview mirror, and for it was just completely, you know, a matter of luck that there wasn't someone behind me because right. they almost they would have rear-ended me. Right.
0: Um,
2: and uh. And, and, and then, as my adrenaline started to abate and you know my, my breathing calmed and I, I was kind of running through my head well what what exactly happened there? Uh, what caused the car to freak out for no apparent reason? Um, and I realized that a moment before um, an 18 wheeler had gone you know it's going traveling slightly faster than my autopilot uh, you know engagement was going uh, past the car on the on the left side in the neighboring lane, and it splashed a big sheet of water up over towards the car. Mm. And so, in a sense, you know, the autopilot did exactly what it was supposed to do. It detected that something big was coming at the car. Right. Don't hit it. But what it didn't have was kind of the intrinsic knowledge that I had growing up in the world that when water splashes on your car that weighs a couple tons it's not a big deal and it's not important (laughs) but but it meant that you know i needed to know what water was and that it's not dangerous if it hits you and uh you know by the way it's raining now so you could expect water to be hitting you (laughs) Be a surprise so you know you think of kind of the knowledge of materials that has nothing to do with what you would imagine would be a driving challenge to begin with so it had the sensors, it had the identification, it had the collision detection, but it didn't have kind of the basic meaning of, of how the world is structured that mm. you and I take for granted completely. So for me, that was a you know a classic moment where you know the magic of AI that seemed to be doing everything, you know, it didn't quite meet the human standard.
1: Mm. Yeah. Interesting.
0: I think driverless cars tech is really really hard. I think people, I I, I think some of it is perhaps a little easier these days. But I think, because people, that's like the first, it's like Alexa and driverless cars are like the first things people jump to. And I think driverless car tech is really, really hard, personally.
1: Yeah, but I wish they'd hurry up because I want it.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I agree. Well, you know, it is really remarkable. And,
2: and, uh, you know, when you start to look at the statistics, the driverless car technology is already better than humans. From a statistical and, and accident avoidance perspective, you know, it doesn't yeah. get tired. Yeah. It doesn't text, or maybe it texts, but it can do that and drive at the same time. Um, so yeah, it's uh, you know, some of the stats are really quite interesting. Now, uh, there's arguments that it's like somewhere between five and nine times safer than than the average driver. Yeah.
1: Uh, but yeah. uh, really I'm an economist,
0: so uh, yeah, I, I I know all about car fatality statistics. So. <laughs> it Dri- drives drives me that's a little
1: morbid uh yes Uh,
0: the the the, the dismal science
1: what what was your privacy question all right um so i want to talk
0: today briefly about the stethoscope okay the stethoscope is the uh is a technology that allows uh that does that all the computation if you want to call it that is done completely offline in-house by whoever's using it, and there's sort of ultimate privacy with a stethoscope. That is to say, the doctor and the stethoscope is getting information from the patient, but it's not being processed anywhere else except in the room, and by it, obviously, it's impossible for that information to really be processed uh, by anyone else because it's a stethoscope. when as as you get more and more sophisticated, and healthcare is a really is sort of the ultimate example because um, it, privacy is by law. There's all these. There's a lot
1: of yeah. Privacy we probably stuff should you have. We cover. probably should have told Philip that in addition to being an economist, you're also a licensed attorney in yeah. the state of Illinois. So yeah, that was with, with with a specialty <laughs> in healthcare. So uh, okay, keep going, Guthrie.
0: So um, I am curious. I mean, five years ago, I think the general public had a lot more trust in technology. Uh, Five years before that, they had even more trust, probably. Um, And because of the nature of um, processing data, I mean, I know some companies are getting to the point where, you know, Apple says they do all the neural network processing locally on the device and they don't ship any data out. Um, but I think for a lot of people that sort of magic is now uh, or the, the trust has been eroded. I have a number of friends, my age, not, you know, m- millennial ages. That's I'm in the millennial group um, who uh, will will never live, do not want to live with anyone who has, you um, any sort of Alexa device, um, because in in their home because of privacy issues. Okay, so that was a very long-winded, convoluted. Uh, uh, and your question beginning. is, and my question, and my question is, um, as as we offload more and more, especially in healthcare, um, of the potential diagnostic tools and the potential technology solutions, um, what are what are some of the ways uh, that you, the industry, can help ensure that, make people feel better that their privacy is actually being protected. Now, again, I'm an economist. I know that it's very easy for the medical records to be stolen by some, you know, by a hacker, and all the stethoscope data is then stolen anyways. So I understand the rea- the reality of it, but especially when it comes to perception, um, a a Device that can that's tracking you know your heart rate from a phone that may cause squeamishness with people. Yeah,
2: you know it, it, that's a that's a genuine concern and an yeah. important topic area. The um, but it, it's interesting to to note how the privacy standards are evolving. Mm. Uh, I'll give you kind of an interesting example as kind of a teaser for the discussion. Um, you know when we began this project uh, and we were working with hospitals to figure out you know how would we design the data flow and where do they want the data. Kept. Uh, you know, a few years ago, the general sense was, uh, we don't trust this newfangled cloud thing that everyone seems to be able to get to from wherever they are. Um, you know we'd rather store all the data on you know a local a local machine in the hospital. And so you know we we built some prototype machines you know with that with that requirement in mind. Um, but then, as we approached some of our field validation trials with the formal product, uh we we said all right we're ready to go <laughs> you know here, here's how we've designed the system this is our you know independent review board protocol uh for approval um and uh and they said whoa 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 you're storing all the data on premises in the hospital we don't want you to do that <laughs> said, well, wait, wait a second did you that wasn't that one of the requirements a few months ago said, yes up until the point where we had you know one of the doctor's uh, laptops stolen uh, <laughs> that had a bunch of medical records on it and then yeah. we got the million dollar fine. So we don't want to do that. Um, and and I think, you know, one of the realizations is, of course, the, the cloud security technologies have really come quite a long way in the last few years. Uh, and, you know, driven in part by, you know, GDPR and, and HIPAA compliance regulations that have now extended in the technology fields. Um, and, I, and I think that, that having done that, uh, you know, there's been a lot of progress. And you're not seeing a lot of data breaches uh, by uh, the types of industries in the types of industries where you know you've got the extreme you know HIPAA compliance requirements of security and intrusion detection and all those things that uh, that are a little bit uh, more stringent than the general commercial standard. Um, so I think that that is you know one thing that should give people a little bit of comfort. Uh, but the other is that um, I think that in this transition to you know the bigger cloud systems, uh, you're now not as subject as you used to be to kind of individual points of weakness from untrained users um, or just, you know, users that are overworked and don't have the time to reset their password every couple months uh, or, you know, whatever the, the change requirement is. I, mean, you know, I, I can't tell you how many people I've seen, you know, even in, in high security government installations saying, you know, God, I forgot my password. What month is it? Oh, yes. Like, screw you. You know, nine fourteen. <laughs> just change the nine fourteen to the latest date when I have to, you know, update my password. Um, you know, because they they don't want to comply with the uh, the annoyance uh, and the trouble of, of of the security requirements. So I think that that is a, an important transition. Uh, but I think that um, you know, part of what we're seeing is that that there's also an increasing awareness. That uh, that your privacy, while it can help you, it can hurt others, and and I think that um, if you look at the way AI advances in the medical field in particular, it's utterly dependent on aggregating large masses of data that that help us characterize, you know, how do you define, detect, and you know, understand the progress of you know disease and injury and recovery and rehabilitation. And, and if we don't have that data, uh, we can't build systems to improve it. I mean, your, your stethoscope example is a great one mm-hmm. because you know as long as it's one doctor and it's the only one that's heard it, you know, you're subject to, is that a good doctor or not? Or even in developing countries, do you have a doctor nearby? And if you've got a smartphone that can detect your heartbeat and you, it can be serviced automatically or from a doctor far away, and so you no longer have the access restrictions or the training requirements locally that, that you used to have with the individual doctor and the, uh, and the stethoscope. But to make that work, you know, we needed to collect, you know, literally thousands of uh, of traces of, of, of heartbeats and, and respiration patterns uh, and use that to train our AI. And if people weren't willing to share that in some capacity, we would never have been able to build a system to kind of upgrade what's possible.
1: Right. Okay. I, I have another question. Guthrie, you, you can, I'll give you like, you know, a little break and then you can come back with more questions. Um, we, Philip, we have clients who uh, are, you know, we, we do work in the intersection of behavioral science and design. And we have clients who are very interested in, you know, neural measurements of their products. So, you know, they want to know, they'd like to, you know, they want to use uh, heart rate or respiration, you know, EEG and so on to see if they can get some indication of amount of engagement with whatever the product is that someone is using. And so what I, I can, you know, I can imagine that there even might be people listening to us to this episode and saying, Oh, this is cool! I'm gonna. I want to use this <laughs> to measure the heart rate uh, while people are watching our, you know, video that we put together, and see w- when they're engaged and when they're not engaged. Which, you know, there's there's uh, right now out in the market, there are some there are things that will measure heart rate, but I don't know, if, you know, that anybody from a neural marketing point of view has. What you have, which is they're measuring heart rate from the the you know the smartphone looking at their face. So, you know how how do you feel about you, the technologies you're developing being used in ways that were not what you intended uh, is or or perhaps not what you initially intended? Is it like do you see you know brainworks kind of opening up and saying absolutely yeah this is great we you know the technology can be used here 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 and here or are you like wait guys wait guys you know we we wanted you know we're trying to do this to make these big improvements in critical areas like healthcare and you know we're not necessarily trying to make company x over here you know make a more effective super bowl ad
2: yeah, that's a great question, and you know, you you you've asked it gently without even implying, you know, more nefarious usage. You know, even farther on the other side of that double-edged sword, right? I yeah, think, uh, you know it's it's absolutely true that these new technologies are unbelievably powerful and 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 can be used for good or ill. I mean, one of the examples I gave in a recent presentation was that the same facial recognition technology that we use in our you know vital sign monitoring system, uh, you know, it's intended to you know notice when you individually, you in particular, walk in front of the camera and and then you know record the the vital signs it measures to your personal health record. So that's a nice benign. Uh, application that that's intended to watch over your health for your own benefit, um, and and you know it's the same kind of technology that that uh, uh, you know certain oppressive governments are using uh, to identify people in the streets that are protesting and and uh, and ensure that uh, there's you know their social credit uh, scores is, is impacted to limit their travel and, and communication. Uh, so. You know healthcare and advancement and your personal health and public good on one side versus oppression, so there's really a wide range of applications. Um, so I, I'd say that from our perspective at Brainworks, we're taking the position that we want to be responsible for the responsible use of our platforms. Uh, and we've turned away a good amount of business, uh, where you know we've been approached by applications, uh, for you know, um, physical security. You know, we, we've been asked, you know, can you tell if uh, someone has an elevated uh, set of vital signs, heart rate and breathing that doesn't correspond to how active they are physically, where, you know, we can get our security personnel to intercept them before they get through a, a checkpoint. Of some sort. So we've we refused that kind of work. Um, we've been asked by uh, insurance companies, uh, can you help us uh, determine whether someone's lying to us, uh, you know, while they're making an application by looking at their expressions and vital signs at the same time, you know, while they're filling out our online ad, uh, you know, for, for service. Uh, and you know, we'd like to extract more more money from from premium customers and reject service from from poor customers. So these are all things that we have decided are not in the public benefit and the, the morals of our company and, and how we operate and what we choose to do business with. Uh, you know, we will not support those applications. Um, so I think that that our perspective is, is a little bit different than some of the big platform developers where they're, you know, open sourcing the platform and saying, hey, anyone come use it. Uh, we're actually working with problems, you know, with, with partners to solve very specific problems. We're using our platform and building the kind of the industry vertical to, to solve a big problem. Mm. Uh, so in that sense, it's a, it's a little bit more of a, hands-on stewardship from our perspective to make sure that the uh that the uses are responsible
1: yeah yeah i mean all right yeah guthrie back to you yeah i mean
0: well i mean someone's someone if it's great that uh that you are not going to do that but someone is going to develop (laughs) that unfortunately
2: most likely likely. yeah people are you know, you do have the social credit score. You know, most, most people aren't even aware. I mean, this is, this is one of the conversations I think you guys could really uh, elevate and, and should uh, is that, you know, you, you came up with a couple of high-flying examples of, you know, AI that's obvious and in front of you uh, and that people marvel at. But I think the one of the hidden issues is, is really the hidden AI. The AI is already all around you. It's already manipulating what you see and what you don't see. Um, what advertisements are presented to you? What what, uh, what shows are you presented that you're likely to like? Uh, controlling your viewing habits, um, you know, when you're purchasing something online, how are you presented different products? How are they priced? You know, there's already you know huge bits of AI arrayed against you that most people aren't even aware of. You know, one of the great examples. Um, that uh, I think uh, I don't know if you followed Tristan Harris and his whole campaign about uh, uh, being a former uh, Facebook front-end designer.
1: Yeah. where
2: He was one of the people that was charged with, you know, making the interface that would be more appealing so people would use it more. And after a while, you know, he left the company and then became a big campaigner. And and the way he would phrase it, and I'd, I'd you know refer you to his uh, Twitter stream and and uh, and presentations. He's, he's got a TED TEDx presentation, I believe. Um, is that when you know you press that big blue F button on the Facebook app, what you're doing is you're turning on one of the world's largest artificial intelligence systems with one express purpose. And that is to keep you watching advertisement for as long as possible to maximize the ad revenue. And just like uh, Gary Kasparov lost to Big Blue and uh, you know AlphaGo, you know, be the, uh, the, the go master from, from China um, or Japan, uh, Lee Sedol, uh, you know, you will lose against a giant supercomputer. So you have a system that is controlling your attention with an AI system that's not even exposed to you. And it's tuning what you're shown, how often you're shown it, how the likes are distributed, what friends you hear from, what friends you don't. Um, how do you keep scrolling? Oh, and by the way, when you log off, it also sends you messages and notifications to try and get you to come back. And so this has been, uh, exposed now to, to work so well that especially, uh, younger children, you know, think of, you know, eight to 14 or 15, uh, where their executive function is just developing, they're completely susceptible to the dopamine hit of these design strategies. And so that is a massive AI that's arrayed against you to seize and, and, and hold your attention.
1: Now, see Guthrie, you think I'm, I'm pessimistic.
0: Oh, no, I, I I think, (laughs) I think both of you are realistic.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, it's so, it's so hard too, because yeah. And, and, um, Philip, we, we, we give a talk on the future of, human technology interaction and we kind of debate about you know how dark to go and I tend to I tend to be (laughs) pessimistic and dark but I think the other thing that's kind of difficult in in talking about this is the sense of uh helplessness about it you know like okay okay so this isn't good uh and it's happening um and there's nothing I can do about it. You know, I mean, there's a, it's like... Uh, yeah, I'm not,
2: I, I'm not that pessimistic. I, I think that, you know, I, I would say two things to argue. Um, one, yes, there, there are uh, malign uses of these technologies, but, but there's also, it's important to realize how powerful they are and what the prospect for improvement might be. And, and if you think of our, you know, number one challenge today on earth, um, it's easy to kind of get obsessed with, you know, what what appears in the daily news as bad news. But most of the metrics that are important for the human condition, so poverty, disease, um, hunger, uh, you know, drought and, and availability of clean water, all of those metrics are improving pretty drastically on a regular basis. And, and I think that we have reached a point with renewable energy and we've re- reached a point with the cultivation of food where we now have more than the whole entire world needs. And, and the challenge that we have now is not so much, you know, what is the basic technology and, and our capability to, to create all of these things, but how can we be more efficient in distributing them and managing them. Mm-hmm. And if we can solve those, we generally we genuinely have at hand the prospect of you know, not requiring money anymore for things like energy and food because there's plenty for everyone. Uh, you know, I would throw healthcare into that mix as well, uh, although that's probably a little bit farther down the road. But, but in that sense, the single biggest, you know, kind of foundational tool that we have to address these problems is the artificial intelligence technologies that allows us to automate it and massively reduce the cost for everything and make everything more efficient and, and accessible. Um, so, so to me, I think, you know, this is a super exciting era. And, and one of the reasons why we started BrainWorks was we saw that technology as being so fundamental to bringing about positive world change uh, that we we wanted to take up that mantle and, and that mission.
1: Yeah. So, so is there, um, is there anything you can tell us about, about, you know, what's coming down the pike and what's the next thing that you're working on?
2: Yeah, well, for us, we're, we're trying to build systems that, you know, every quarter we, we can detect more disease and more injury just by looking at you. Uh, and not only can we detect it, but we can build the systems to diagnose and then predict trends and, and help you plan interventions in such a way that, uh, you know, you have it in your pocket with a phone and a webcam and a smart TV in your home. Uh, a system where you can refer to uh, a virtual doctor with the best training, the best knowledge, the best experience and the best ability to see what's wrong with you uh, in a way that uh, was completely invisible in the past. So, you know, think of a next generation of virtual doctors and virtual nurses uh, that are accessible wherever you are Uh, and however poor you might be or whatever disease you might have uh, that can help, uh, help you understand it and manage it. And even more, these things that can help you from a day- to- day basis long before you have any kind of critical health issue uh, to maintain your health and fitness uh, and and maybe move us a little way away from uh, kind of reactive care of crises to uh, preventive health maintenance.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's 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 great, it's fascinating. So if people want to find out more about brainworks, you want to tell us uh, and we'll also, you know link to, to stuff when we uh, sure, yeah. talk about easy. this but what where should they go
2: yeah it's very easy just go to brainworks.ai uh, that is our base website and uh, click around there's a couple of intro videos and presentations and uh, there's a, a page describing the healthcare technologies and the ambient biometric sensing and uh, and of course you know we've got our job postings. we are hiring
1: oh uh, great here, uh, what, what kinds yeah. of positions are you looking for
2: well you know to start with, we're looking mostly for software developers that have some sort of interest in applying machine learning and artificial intelligence to solving difficult problems.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, but uh, but not just the computer science types. Uh, you know, we're looking for all the technical disciplines: uh, electrical engineering, um, physics, math, uh, neuroscience, biology, uh, people that understand how the brain works, cognitive psychology. Um, all of those are uh, are, are really interesting. Kind of contributors, I think, to this mission. Uh, and then, of course, we're looking for uh, you know broader executives to help us grow the company and and interface with and sell into and and help transform the healthcare industry. So uh, you know, it's uh, we got a little bit of a tiger by the tail. We're riding, <laughs> we're hanging on as tight as we can, uh, and uh, we're growing. So uh, you know, would love to have partners, uh, hospitals that think they could benefit, um, clinics, elder care telemedicine groups uh these are all uh you know important parts of our ecosystem
1: great great hey thanks so much for uh for the conversation i uh, guthrie you probably didn't even get half of your questions you got to bring up so sorry about that um but it's been it's been great i we really appreciate your coming on to talk to us phil
2: my pleasure
1: All right, so this is Dr. Philip Alvelda, um, BrainWorks.ai. Guthrie, if people want to get a hold of us, how do they do that?
0: You can email info at (laughs) theteamw.com.
1: Okay, thanks. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks very much.
0: Bye, everyone. Bye.